So I spend quite a bit of time talking about grace. I love grace. I think grace is totally cool. Grace is God's love poured out upon us. Simply stated, that's what God's love is. And God pours it out on us without our meriting it. We do nothing to earn God's love being poured out upon us. As Methodists, we believe that God's grace is given to all, that it is free for all, that it is free in all. And it is grace that moves through us that causes us to desire God, causes us to desire to be with God, causes us to love our neighbor and to love God that all that we have and all that we are. In our Methodist tradition, we also talk about the means of grace, the ways in which God gives us God's love. In our sacraments, in baptism and Holy Communion, those are means of grace. Worship is a means of grace. When, you're, when you are here in worship or when you are in prayer on your own, you're inviting God to come in. And you're inviting God's grace and God's love to come in. But did you know that the church itself is a means of grace? That God uses the church to extend grace and salvation to others. Sure, we come here and we receive God's grace here in this presence, but God also uses the church and uses us to extend that grace and salvation outside these walls. That's what we want to talk about today, is how do we become a means of grace? How does God use us to give that grace and salvation away? In our scripture this morning, it, it's still right after Pentecost. Pentecost has happened. The tongues of, of fire have fallen down on people's heads. They've been speaking in different languages. Peter gets up and gives a wonderful sermon talking about Jesus and the gift of Jesus and what salvation means. And it says on Pentecost Day that the Lord added 3,000 to their number. Can you imagine a church growing by 3,000 in one day? And then it tells us what they are doing with their time what these new believers are doing with their time. And it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. It says that they went to the temple every day to go worship and pray. And then they would come to each other's homes and share a common meal, share the Lord's Supper together. It says that they would share their possessions one to each other as, as an act of generosity. Now, granted, this passage is rather idyllic. We can tell in later passages in Acts that this didn't follow through to its, to its easy end, that we had the sharing of possessions, things became a problem, the sharing meals became a problem, the communion became a problem. But they were devoting themselves to God, to each other, and to the apostles' teachings. And that's what I want us to look at today. First, they were dedicating themselves to God. We see that, that they go to worship, and that they're in prayer. And when it says that they were sharing a common meal, it means they were also sharing the Lord's Supper. And so they were devoting themselves to God. Each time that I have moved to a new city, one of the first things I want to try and find is a new church to be a part of. My dad still lives in the same house that I was raised in, so that church, I, was, I attended that church for 20-some-odd years. That, that, one's, that one's a given. But when I went off to college, 
I found a church in Auburn. When I went off to move to Illinois for a little while, I found two different churches up there. When I moved to Texas, one of the first things I wanted to find was a church. When Steve and I got married, we wanted to find a church closer to where we lived. Finding a church is essential to who I am. Seeking out God. Now, the reasons that I, that I find different churches can change. What I'm looking for can change. When I was in down at Auburn, it was pretty easy. There was one Methodist in town. That, that was easy. When I moved to Chicago, it wasn't about finding a Sunday school class of people my own age. That wasn't going to exist. It was finding a place where I agreed with the preacher enough to keep going there. That, that was what the pretext was on that one. When I moved here, it became I needed to find a church that had other single people in it. And that's where I met Steve. And when we moved out here, when we started looking for churches, we wanted one that was large enough to have multiple adult Sunday school classes and multiple Bible studies. Then when I started preaching in churches, I don't know if you know this, but I, we actually visited Saxe before I became pastor there. We had visited Saxe years before, years before when Marsha was there. And so it was one of the churches we were checking out. You know, church shopping. Y'all know the term church shopping. Finding a place where I can be in worship and prayer with God is essential to me. It's a part of who I am, and it is something that I go and do. I devote myself to finding that community of faith, that fellowship of faith. But how are we doing in devoting ourselves to God these days? How often... We, we don't go to church every day of the week like it says in Scripture they were going. They were going to the temple every day. We don't do that. But are you spending time with God every day? Are you in prayer with God every day? Are you opening your Bible every day? Are you listening to God? How's your hanging out with Jesus going? It says in our scripture that they devoted themselves to each other. In the common meals that they were sharing, it's like a progressive dinner that you would have a meal at somebody's house tonight and you go to somebody else's house the next night and they would hang out and they would have meals together and then after they would eat their common meal, then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So they hung out together in fellowship with each other and then they supported each other being generous in their possessions so that nobody was in need. They were devoted to each other. There was a movie that came out four years ago, McFarland, USA. Does anybody remember that movie? It's the story of Jim White and his family. He was hired as a coach at McFarland High School in California. And McFarland High School was located in an economically depleted area. It had a very large Latino community. Well, one of the things that Jim White did is that he noticed some of the students there at the high school were pretty fast runners. Well, it comes from the fact that these kids had to work in the fields and then make it to school on time. And then after school, they had to rush back to work in the fields some more. And so they did a lot of running. It's not like they had cars to take them to and from because their parents were working in the fields. Well, when he noticed the speed of these kids, he started a cross-country track team at that school and taught these kids to run long distances, to work as a team for that. The overarching plot of this movie is how 
dedicated he was to these boys and how they go on to state and how each kid is given a shot you know, at, at, at a better, so if you want to quantify it that way. But there's another plot in the movie that, that's underneath all of that. You have a Caucasian family living in a Latino neighborhood. Well, his wife, Cheryl, starts doing some fundraising so they can have uniforms and new tennis shoes. And she quickly finds out the best way to raise money is to sell tamales. Well, she doesn't know how to make tamales. And so the women who are the mothers and the aunts and the sisters of the players start making tamales. And boy, they're teaching Cheryl how to make tamales. And in the midst of this, Jim is going from house to house, meeting these families, and you got to eat. And every time he would clean his plate, more food would show up. And he'd eat it, and then more food would show up. They just kept feeding him in their extreme and radical hospitality. But then they find out that Jim's 15-year-old sister, I mean, Jim's 15-year-old daughter, the daughter is 15. Well, in a Latino community, she needs to have her quinceanera. I have no idea if I pronounced that right. Quinceanera? Close? I got close. Quinceanera? It's the celebration of a young woman turning 15. Well, she didn't have one. Well, all these Latino women are just beside themselves that, that Julie didn't get to have her quinceanera, and so they have to teach Jim how to throw this party, which I think is very interesting. They didn't throw the party for him. They told him, go here to get the cake. Go here to get the decorations. Go here to do this. We'll help a little bit with the food, but you got to do a lot of this yourself. These families took care of each other. They stepped out and shared their lives. There was a lot of food involved, but they shared their lives with each other. They devoted themselves to each other. Families who had very little were being exceedingly generous to the new guy in town. And the new guy in town was very aware of the fact that he was no longer in the majority and that he had something to learn from his neighbors. They devoted themselves to each other. Now, this congregation has a reputation for being friendly and that we're good at welcoming people when they come here. But I don't want to see a, I don't want to see a show of hands here. I don't want to see, we, we do have our lunches together. We, we, we socialize with each other. We text each other. But I, I don't want to see a show of hands with this question. But I want to ask you this. There are 21 people sitting in this room. How many names do you know? How many names do you know? My next question is, how are devoted are we to each other? If there's somebody in this room that you honestly don't know their name, and I'm not talking about senior moments the way they just float out, but if there's somebody in this room that you don't know their name, I think you might want to introduce yourself before you leave today. Otherwise, we are not truly devoted to each other. You know, because you can pray for the guy who sits in this spot in the sanctuary, or you can actually find out what is that person's name and pray by name. Amen? Think about it for a minute. How devoted are we to each other? It says in our scripture that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Many times we see that phrase, apostles' teaching, we go, okay, they were devoted to scripture. Not quite. Because scripture didn't exist in its current form at the time that this was written. 
at the time of these events. The Old Testament, they had the law, and they had the Psalms pretty good, and, and they had some of the prophets, but the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures as it looks today, did not exist on that day at Pentecost. And none of the New Testament was written yet. It was happening and it's not like somebody had a dictaphone and was walking around and recording every single thing that Jesus said. So when they say they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles were talking to each other. All right, now, what did Jesus say when he healed that guy, you know, the guy with the shriveled hand last week? What did Jesus say there? And what do you think Jesus meant when he said this? But then they were also debating amongst themselves, well, do the Gentiles have to become Jews first before they can become followers of Jesus? Oh, and here's a question that was floating around. Is Jesus divine? We're fortunate we have the Apostles' Creed. We're fortunate we have the Old and New Testaments. They didn't. They were still figuring it out. So to devote themselves to the Apostles' teaching means they were in conversation with each other. They were having healthy debates. They were praying over, over different ideas and thoughts, and they were trying to learn together. To this day, we still have friendly debates. What did Jesus mean when he said, love thy neighbor? We still have debates. We still discuss theological issues. The divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. We still debate these things. The question is, are we having healthy conversations? Are we listening to each other? Here's another question. How can you engage in conversation with somebody about Jesus' teachings, about what the apostles teach, if you haven't read it yourself? Because trust me, what you're going to hear from other people, including pastors, can be half-truths. They can be spun-truths. They can be not even in Scripture. I don't know if y'all have ever taken one of these tests to say, is it Scripture or Shakespeare? There are lines in Shakespeare that people think are in the Bible, and they're not. How do you know what Jesus' teachings are, what the apostles' teachings are, if you don't read it yourself? Now, I'll be very clear. Reading the Bible front to back, our morning Bible study proved it this morning. You can read it and say, I have no idea what that is. And that's when it's healthy to have those conversations. Have a lively debate. As my dad would say, it is okay to disagree with the pastor. I was raised to understand that. They devoted themselves to Jesus' teachings and figuring it out for themselves. They devoted themselves to God. They devoted themselves to each other. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Because of that, Scripture says they had glad and generous hearts. They had glad and generous hearts. And read it very carefully. The Lord added to them. They didn't add to themselves. The Lord added. One of the things I have to turn in every year is average worship attendance in the congregation. So when I'm standing out front waiting for the next car to show up, what do you think I'm doing? Counting cars and how many people came out of those cars. I hate to say it because I don't like it, but I'm very aware of worship attendance around here. 
very aware of it. And sometimes when it stalls, you know, like in the summer, <laughs> I have to remind myself, I don't add anybody in here. You don't add anybody in here. The Holy Spirit brings people here. In your bulletin, you will find a prayer card. We created these prayer cards two years ago, and I figured with this sermon, it works to ha hand them out again. The prayer is simple. Dear God, bring us the people we need and the people who need us. Lead me to someone that I can invite to church and help me be your love this day. Take that card and tape it somewhere. On your coffee machine, on your steering wheel, on the mirror in the bathroom, someplace that you know you go every single day, and when you see that card, say that prayer. Say that prayer. Put it next to your Bible. Put it next to the upper room. Put it somewhere where you pray it every day. Dear God, bring us the people we need and the people who need us. But listen to that second line. Lead me to someone I can invite to church. Don't forget that line. The Lord adds. The Holy Spirit adds, but guess who they use to get it done? Us. When we devote ourselves to God, to each other, and to the apostles' teachings, the community of faith becomes a means of grace. Because God brings people in, and the grace flows through the church and extends salvation to others. When we devote ourselves to God, to each other, and to the apostles' teachings. God uses us to introduce Jesus Christ to others. May we be a means of grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.